0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So we are, as usual, in the middle of a very long series. And uh, it's called Plugging into Grace. And since we do have... um, Let me see if this is actually going to work. Yeah, it did. We do have, we always have new people with us here in this room and online. So, uh, just a a bit of review. I really don't have time for a lot, but we've been talking, we started out in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, where it tells us that we stand in an environment of grace and that we have access to that grace through faith. So it's one of those God things that he says that we look at and we go, well, if I'm standing in the middle of it, if I'm living in grace, why do I need to plug into grace? I'm I'm in grace, right? And the answer to both questions is yes. We are in grace, but God has given us uh, something called faith that is the element of our spiritual life that plugs into grace. We're standing in this room now, we're inundated with various types of radio waves. We're inundated with television waves, radio waves, Wi-Fi waves. Uh, I don't know how healthy it is for our bodies, but we are, all this stuff is passing through here and passing through our bodies. It's all unseen, but it's all here. It's available. You just have to have the right receiver. Faith is the right receiver to plug into grace. Does that make sense to you? So that's the bottom line premise of what we're talking about. We've talked through a whole Raft of things about what grace is and how it functions. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about faith and how it functions, and how, um, and then we've started in just the last couple of weeks to look at biblical examples of people that uh, walked in faith. And we we talked about the fact that everything we ever receive from God, and everything He calls us to, everything we ever become in Him, all of that comes to us by grace, but is received. Through faith, okay. So, this morning, well, let me give you one more. Last week, because this is uh, this is going to be important again this week. Last week, we kind of segued off uh, into Mark chapter sixteen in these last couple of verses, verses seventeen and eighteen. And I'm going to go through this again because we laid down some groundwork that's going to be important for this week. We're going to begin talking about Abraham. And his walk this morning. But Mark chapter 16 verse 17 it says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they the sick people will get well. We talked about uh, some words uh, found in this verse that it says these signs will accompany us. We found that that word signs speaks of a signature or a stamp on a document that authenticated it. So essentially, um, these signs that come through our lives authenticate. They do two things. They, They tell people, this is an authentic child of God, all right? The fact that these signs come through our life, it authenticates us as being part of the family of God. It also authenticates the message of the gospel. These signs follow those who believe as they're out and sharing the news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about going door to door. I'm, not ta- I'm talking about we carry the word of God, we carry the gospel, we carry, we are, in fact, um, let me just read this verse to you, this has been on my heart all week too, Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 3, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church there, he says, you show, you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, by us apostles written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. I want you to think about that with me this morning. Paul says your life demonstrates that you are a letter from God to the world. That letter was not written by the people that have instructed you, in this case, Paul and his team, the people that got you saved, the people that have Discipled you. Those are important people in your life. It says uh, the letter wasn't written by them. That letter, which is you, was delivered by them. Everybody who speaks into your life and, and helps you grow in the Lord, those people are part of delivering a letter from Jesus Christ written on your heart. And I really want you to get that this morning. I want you to think of yourself that way as you go out. I am. This is so scary because we know ourselves. I am a letter from Christ to the people in my world. And that letter is written not with ink. It's written by the Spirit of God on your heart. This is that inward work of the Holy Spirit in you. And he's doing this in every one of you is a letter to the world. The scripture over in Mark said, it's signed. It's, it's authenticated. That letter, your life is authenticated as the power of God and the life of God flows through you, as the nature of God flows through you, as you minister to people in the power of the Holy Spirit. So jumping back into Mark, it, it said that those signs that are mentioned there will accompany believers. And that word accompany meant to tirelessly, this is a Rick Renner quote actually, to tirelessly accompany someone on a journey, to be right at their side at all times, to be a faithful companion to the believer of the gospel message. All right. And so these signs are supposed to just go along with us. They're not something we're supposed to pursue. They're not something that are special to just certain people. This is supposed to be just sort of a natural part of knowing the Lord and walking in the Lord and letting the Holy Spirit work through us. And so those signs, essentially, they mean, number one, to we exercise authority over the devil, all right? we're not we we do not live under the power of the devil we we help our friends get released from what the devil's trying to do in their life we don't equate the devil and god we don't think that the devil and god are on the same level and there's this big battle no the devil is a defeated foe jesus already defeated him And we have the authority in Jesus' name to bind him up and to take down his strongholds and to break any chains that he has put on anybody's life. We exercise authority over the devil. It's one of the marks of being a Christian. Again, to experience the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It talks about speaking in other tongues, but there are many manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts. That's just supposed to be that's just that's just normal Christian living. It's not a fringe thing, okay? To live under divine protection along the road. Remember those those signs are accompanying us on a journey, right? So we're going down the road and we live under divine protection. I don't believe that this verse means you should go out, try to find a rattlesnake, pick it up. That, that would be tempting God. But in your life, you're not supposed to go out and find deadly poison and drink it and see what happens. You're not supposed to eat Tide Pods. You're not supposed to, you know, uh, that's, that's just, that would be just tempting God. The point is, as believers, we can trust for protection. We can trust we can trust that God is going to keep us safe. We are under divine protection along the road. And then it means to render supernatural aid to people. Whether that's healing the sick, whether that's bringing freedom through a word of knowledge or word of wisdom or working of miracles, whether that is having supply come into your life that you know is much more abundant than what you can do on your own. And always being the scripture says he wants to supply us to the extent where we can go out and meet needs. We have enough for what we need and we're out there meeting needs and it's just a supernatural flow. There's so many ways that God does this, but those are just signs that accompanying, accompany us. And Jesus said, those signs will accompany those who believe, who have this active faith. They have a faith that motivates them, that moves them into action. They step out. They take risks. Meaning, if God doesn't come through here, I'm going to do this because I believe God's saying this or I believe God's telling me to do this. I'm going to step out in this. If God doesn't come through, it's going to be evident that I blew it. it, It wasn't. which isn't the end of the world, by the way. If you're going to learn, I didn't mean that to sound angry, I'm not angry. If you and I are going to learn to walk by faith, this is how we do it. We spend time with God and we, we hear him and we see him and we grow in him. And then he moves us, that faith that grows in us moves us. And we step out, whether it's speaking something to someone, whether it's laying hands on a sick person, whether it's carrying groceries to a person you might you think might kick you off their porch, whether you know whether it's going over here and ministering to people at one in one of the parking lots, whatever it is that the Lord has you to do, we take a risk to where we know if God doesn't show up, then it's evident that this was just me, and you know what? Sometimes it is going to just be you. And you know what we do then? We hide because God's really mad. No, we're, I really want to get off onto Abraham. I really want to go forward from here. This is just like God is essentially raising children. We're his children, okay? Those of you who are parents, when your children, you know, when you train them for something, you teach them something, and then they'd make a mistake, you didn't kick him out of the house, I hope. You didn't treat him. You, you kept training. You kept developing. You kept... I remember this is a different example. I remember a guy that I worked with years and years ago. I'm more familiar with puppies than I am with children. So I'm going to tell you a puppy story. This guy had gotten a puppy and, you know, he'd be down there working all day. The dog would be in the house. He had newspapers out and stuff for the dog. He's trying to train the dog to go to the bathroom on the newspapers. And I went home with him one time. I don't remember why we went home after work to get something at his house or something. We walked in there. That dog had gone all over his kitchen. I don't know if there was anything on the newspaper or not. I think there was like one pile on the newspaper and everything else. Well, he said, oh, you did pretty good. Look at this. You're doing good. He just encouraged that puppy and pretty soon the puppy learned. But my point is, If we're going to step out in things, sometimes we're going to make a mistake. God's not going to fall off his throne. God's going to just help us and help us and help us to learn and to grow. But if we never step out, then these signs are never going to flow through our lives. So, So we're talking about a faith that motivates us. That's what real faith does. It moves us into realms where we haven't seen the result yet. That's the whole point. We walk by faith, not by sight. Is this making sense to you? Okay, let's talk about Abraham. Go over with me to Romans chapter 4. We're just probably going to cover one or two verses here this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 4, there's this whole section that talks about Abraham inheriting the promise of God. And while you're turning to Romans chapter 4, I want to read a verse, uh, two verses, I guess, from Galatians chapter 3. You don't have to turn there. We're not going to stay here. But in the NIV, it says, consider Abraham. All right, it, Paul is telling them, consider Abraham. In other words, look at Abraham. He's and, and there's a reason for that. It says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. We're gonna see another passage here that tells us Abraham, because of his faith, is, the Bible says, is the father of us all. In other words, we are to consider his faith and learn from it. We are his, the life that he lived by faith is an example to us. Scripture tells us in another place that the Old Testament stories are there as examples to us. Some of how to live, some of not how to live, but they are there as examples to us. And we're told specifically with Abraham, look at him. As far as faith goes, he's he's your father. And we're going to read some more about that. So we're going to begin here in, in Romans chapter 4 verse 16. <clears throat> and what you have up there is actually from the uh, new Amplified Bible. And let's just read through this and we'll start picking it apart. Are you with me so far? Yep. Several. Awesome. Uh, Romans chapter 4 verse 16, it says, therefore... Inheriting the promise depends entirely on faith, that is, confident trust in the unseen God, in order that it, the promise, may be given as an act of grace, his unmerited favor and mercy, so that the promise will be legally guaranteed to all the descendants of Abraham. Let me just make a statement right there because we're, we're not really going to talk about this part today. This whole connection between grace and faith, one of the things it does, the fact that everything comes to us by grace and then we're able to receive it through faith. We're able to plug into that grace, that divine flow and receive by faith. It says here, God set it up that way so that everybody can receive, all believers, all his children can receive his promises through this process. The reason for that is if it was set up a different way, if we had to earn the blessing of God, we had to merit it, we had to be good enough to receive it. Well, there might be, honestly, there would be nobody who could receive it. But let's just say, let's just talk about uh, the blessing. Let's talk about the blessing of abundance in our life. Well, some people are way better with financial things, with 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 wealth, or with relationships. We know that that abundance includes much more than much more than just finances. But you know, some people are better at those things than others. So some of them would seemingly receive the blessing of God, and some of them wouldn't. But because He set it up this way, this is telling us right here: all of us can walk by faith. We are designed to have faith. We talked about how faith comes. We talked about the fact that as we're having intimate conversation with God, as we're hearing what he says to us, faith is stimulated in our hearts and it can grow. And, And if we're not spending time with God, that faith can shrink. It can be reduced, but we're all designed to work by faith. We do it all the time. We're sitting in those chairs because you trust that the chair's not going to fall down. We work by trust all the time in the things that we do in life. Think about the fact that we, and sometimes I think this is dumb, we drive down these roads, 55 miles an hour on this one. We have a policeman in the place. 55 miles an hour precisely coming up this road. And these other people, are driving 55. They're probably somebody else. They're probably driving 65. And and they're coming by us and we're missing each other by a couple of feet. That's living by faith. That's trusting semi-trusting, trust but verify constantly that that person isn't going to blow it and come into my lane. I mean, if you think about it, we are designed to live in trust, okay? This part of this verse saying that this the fact that the promises came through grace and therefore it's required that there be faith to receive them. The reason that works so well is because God's on the grace end and he never changes. And on the faith end, if we just spend time with the Lord, he increases faith in our hearts. We're made to walk in faith by God. It's not something special that only certain people can do. Does that make sense to you? All right. So it says so that the promise will be legally guaranteed to all the descendants of Abraham, not only those Jewish believers who keep the law, but also those Gentile believers who share the faith of Abraham, who is the spiritual father of us all. All right. So it tells us here, we'll start breaking this down. Tells us here that receiving God's promise, it's talking about the promise of salvation and the the Holy Spirit coming Uh, into us being born against, talking specifically about that promise. But I believe the same process applies to every promise, every blessing that comes from God. Receiving God's promises depends, it says, entirely on faith, which is confident trust in the unseen God. When having this conversation with somebody in our life about faith, and that person right now is saying, well, I just can't believe this and that. I can't believe there's a Trinity. I can't believe, I believe there's a God, but he's not to the point yet of believing Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not yet to that point. He will come to that point, but he's not yet to that point. And, and we're having this conversation where I'm trying to help him realize he, he is in his mind, believing means I can weigh it out, I can add it up, and I can understand exactly how that would happen. I can quantify it. I could test it in a laboratory. He thinks that's faith. That's not faith. That's mental assent. That is intellectual understanding of something. And that's not a bad thing. It's just not faith. All right, Faith is something that happens in our heart. Faith is a confident trust in the unseen God, in the unseen promise in the unseen blessing. That's why faith, we've been talking about all along, we're surrounded by electricity. But unless we plug into the socket, we don't receive the benefit of that electricity. We are living in this environment of God's grace that has been poured out only because of the work of Jesus Christ. But our faith needs to plug in to draw what God has for us. He says, inheriting the promise depends entirely on faith. That's actually a good thing. I know for some people, they hear that message and they feel like what we're saying is, you don't have enough faith. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying nobody has ever said that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is you have the capacity for the faith that's needed to receive what God has for you. And there are a whole lot of things that try to mess with that process in our hearts. Unforgiveness will mess with that process in your heart. Make it really hard. God doesn't abandon you, but it makes our hearts get hard and it makes it hard for us to just hear what God's saying. Disappointment is a huge one. You know, we can lose hope and then there's no real connection with faith. We can, discouragement, you know, about life. There's Big loss in our life. We've talked about these things before. I still think that offense is one of the biggest tools the devil uses to keep us apart and to keep us apart from God and to keep us away from the table. I am absolutely convinced. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, God is setting a table for you right in the presence of your enemies. And on that table is the word that you need and the presence of the Holy Spirit that you need. The, the, the revelation that you need to, to grow in him and to communicate openly with him. It's there he takes the initiative to set that table before us. But we are responsible to come to the table and eat. And that table is, I'm not saying that's not just church by any means. Actually, it starts with your relationship with the Lord, your quiet time with the Lord. It starts with the places that you can tell that you're feeding spiritually in your life. I do believe that church is one of those God calls us together. It's one of those places and but it's up to every individual to to come to that table and to feed on what the Lord has for them. and that that will build that faith in our hearts so that we can just keep plugging in to what the Lord has. That makes sense. So he says that in a, it uh, depends entirely on faith in order that it, the promises of God, may be given. By grace. That term, that little phrase, in order that, describes a prerequisite. In other words, this is required. Okay? It doesn't work without this component. In order that, okay, in order that, it can all come by grace into our life. You know, over, and we're not going to turn there because um, we'll run out of time, but over in Romans eleven six, Paul has a little discussion there. And he says, basically... If something is coming through works to us, through us doing all the right things, through us um, doing works, if it's coming that way, then it's not by grace. Grace and works do not work together. They will not work together. They are polar opposites of one another. All right. Again, we've talked about the fact that in our relationship, then we begin to to bear fruit. I keep getting this in the back of my head, so I'm going to bring it out. We were talking, I think it was just this morning, um, we got a couple of cats last fall, a couple of kittens, and the one, the black one, uh, would, you know black cats are, they crosses my path every day. No, anyway, he's great, but he, when he was a kitten, he liked to jump up, Karen has this enormous, or it used to be enormous, philodendron right yeah and its vines you know there's a hanging thing up there between our kitchen and living room and i mean this thing had grown she's been growing it for years well he decided those pots were just his favorite place to play was up in these pots where these were broke all these vines broke all these you know branches coming out of the roots And he lived through this experience, which was kind of interesting. She finally had to cover them with, you know, those collars they put on dogs. You know, she had to put those. It was, anyway, but he broke a bunch of this stuff. And the interesting thing about it was, once those got broken away, those long vines, they got broken away from the root, so they weren't going to live. But it's taken months and months for the tip out here to figure out it was dead. The, it just slowly came up, and the same thing happens when we disconnect from that table I talked about a minute ago, from that place of intimacy with the Lord. You don't die the next day, but your life begins to wither, and it can take a long time for it to work its way through your life. But that disconnection, Jesus said, we bear fruit. We're he, He's the vine, essentially the the trunk. We're the branches. And when we're just connected to him, then we bear this fruit that's his nature and his life. Is this making sense? Okay. Uh, So it's just so important to this whole process we're talking about. It all starts in that relationship. You got to keep that relationship. That's the most important thing in your life is to keep that relationship with the Lord alive and working. All right. All right. Let's move along. I'm going to run out of time here. Paul says over in Galatians chapter 5 verse 4, he says you who are trying to be justified, that means made right with God by law, in other words by keeping all the keeping all the rules, okay? Those of you who are trying to be justified by law, it says have been alienated from Christ. You've actually fallen away from grace. And, and this, I'm only bringing this up just to tell you how important keeping your walk with God about the relationship and letting the relationship produce good works, which will be living works, rather than trying to keep the relationship through doing all the right things. It's just not how it works. This term, fallen, where he says, it says essentially you've been severed from Christ. Because you're trying and trying to have this, to receive the promises by what you do, by doing the good things and avoiding the bad things. And this word fallen, you've fallen from grace. It's used of something falling out of its rightful or divinely ordained place. In other words, it is divinely ordained for us to live in this faith-grace relationship. And if we try and do our relationship with God through our works, we actually fall out of that. And it is a divinely ordained place for us. Does that make sense? Okay, let's, let's go on and get a little bit more here this morning. So in verse 17, Romans 4.17, it says, As it is written, I have made you, this is God speaking over Abraham, I have made you, The Father of many nations. The Amplified here says, He was appointed our Father in the sight of God in whom He believed, who gives life to the dead, and speaks of the non existent things that He has foretold and promised as if they already existed. This verse starts out and it says that Abraham was appointed, and that word means to be ordained. God ordained something. He was ordained by God to be and do something that was totally impossible. You know what this is about. God said this this seed is going to come that's going to be the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's going to come from your body and Sarah's body. Abraham's 75 years old at the time. Sarah was past the time she could have children. It's totally physically impossible and God says this is how it's going to be and you are going to be the father of many nations. I just want you to get God speaking this to Abraham. He's ordained something in his life, that there is zero physical evidence that this could happen. And it took 25 years of of them, you know, trying to figure it out and trying to walk with God and making all the same mistakes that you and I would make in that. And yet holding on to the promise of God, it took 25 years for this impossible miracle to come to pass. But it came to pass. Okay, there was no evidence when God said this. There are things in our lives that God says or scripture gets highlighted to us and we're just like, that's impossible. God, that's wonderful, that excites me. But God, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I could be that. There's no way my life could go from where it is today to that place. We can feel that way in our hearts, but I want you to get out of this. When God says it, it says later that He's the one who gives life to the dead. He calls those things that are non-existent as though they were. And he does it for our lives the same way that he did it for Abraham. So it's, it was impossible when he said it. In the King James Version, it says here, I have made you the father of many nations. We're probably going to wrap it up with this part of this verse. So just listen with me, listen to me here for a minute. In the Greek language here where it says, I have made you, it's this Greek word, and those of of you from Believer Center have heard this word many times, uh, it's this Greek word, tithemi. I have made you. I have set this upon you. That word tithemi means to establish or set something in place with great care and precision with great care and precision, God said, I have made you the father of many nations. I have ordained you to be the father of many nations. I have called this for you, Abraham. And it wasn't arbitrary. It wasn't just something God thought up one day. He set that in place on Abraham. He called Abraham to be something that he absolutely could not be at that time. And there's a, in this word, there's this, Again, it's to establish or set in place with great care and precision. Think about that. What God speaks into our life, what the promises of God that come into our life, all of that says something about God's value for you, His value for your life, His plan and His purpose for your life. He called Abraham to be something really important and And when we have something of great value, a lot of times you know, and just think about your own home, maybe you have a piece of artwork, maybe you have a family heirloom, you have something that's of great value to you, oftentimes we set that in a prominent place where it can be enjoyed. We set that in a safe place, we set that many times you go into people's houses, they'll have pictures of family right around on the shelves or on the mantel. They'll have, again, sometimes a piece of artwork and they'll have, you know, we used to use move furniture. We saw a lot of people's houses. They'd have some beautiful piece of artwork and they'd have lights set up for it. They'd have this whole thing set up for it because it was of great value to them. It was it was displayed. It was taken care of. You know, we have, I don't know if we have anything like that, but we we have, I was thinking about the fact that you know we we have two japanese vehicles a mazda and a 20-year-old toyota pickup okay and then i have a 1958 bmw motorcycle okay which one do you think lives in the garage and which ones live out in the snow yeah so i mean it's it's because that's of tremendous value to me for a whole bunch of reasons and so that gets its place in the garage okay everything else gets kicked outside, all right? It's somewhere in your life. You can see this. This is part of this word to me. I have called you. I've ordained you. I have have appointed you. I have spoken this over your life. When we go into somebody else's home and we see something like that, like a piece of artwork or some, you know, you might have a baseball under glass that you, you know, whatever it is, I may not relate to it, at all, but I can see by the way you positioned it that it's of great value to you. And so I can appreciate that, just that. I can appreciate its value because you value it. And the scripture tells us to look at each other that way. Scripture tells us that we no longer, it's over in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 16. It says, we no longer look at one another the way the world looks at one another. We look at one another after the spirit. We look at one another. We look for the gifts. We look for the gold. We look for the beauty in one another. We look for what God is doing. We don't, we don't judge each other by what the devil has tried to create in somebody's life. We look at them. And this, is, this isn't just in the body of Christ. Yes, in the body of Christ, but we, we need to look at the whole world this way. Every person on this earth is of tremendous value to God and probably one of the reasons you're in their life is because God values them so much and he's set you who know him in their life to help them come to know him. So we look at one another. It's like we, we can go in and even if I don't get along with this person, I have to stop myself. Even if I fully disagree with this person, I have to stop myself and I have to say, wait a minute, this is a person that Jesus died for the same as he died for me. They hold the same value. And and so I need to appreciate their value because of the value that God has put on. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So this word means, uh, and again, we'll wrap it up with this. This word, tithemi, again, it means to ordain to, to assign to a task or position, to set something in its proper and fitting place. The place or role for which it was designed. The place or role. God speaks this and he's spoken over your life and over my life. And in that speaking, whether there's any evidence of it today or not, he is setting us, he is positioning us in a proper and fitting place. The place or role for which we were designed. Jesus told us, Jesus used this same word over in John 15, um, John 15, verse 16, where he said, you didn't choose me. I chose you and I tithomied you. I ordained you to go and to bear fruit and to bear lasting fruit. And he told us in that chapter, when we bear that fruit from what he has called us to be, God gets glory in the earth. We don't get glory. God gets glory. Because God is the one who is being seen. God is the one who is called. I I just, I don't have the words to say this. I hope you're getting it because I just don't have the words to say this. God has called each of our lives out of death and darkness and just a senseless direction in our lives. And he has called us to a significant place in his life and in his plan for this for this generation, for the people around us, whatever it might be, we all have different gifts. We have different, God's plan is different for us, but it's valuable, it is, it is that valuable for every person. That And you know what? This same word, tithemi, is used over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, where it says, he sets us, he tithemies us, he ordains us, he appoints us in the body where it pleases him. We've got this messed up idea. We pick where we're going to be in the body by how good the food is after church, by what time church starts, by all these crazy things. I don't like the music. I don't like this. I don't like that. The question is, God, where do you want me? Because he sets us. He plants us. He sets us down right next to people we don't get along with he sets us right next to people we're going to argue with and and in that pro- i love that process because we've got to mature we've got to learn to love people that we don't get along perfectly with we've got to grow up out of that i'm just kind of going here i'm just about done i just i want you to get the weight of this that god ordained abraham And then Abraham responded. And that doesn't mean he, anyway, you get it. He set him to be who he is in the history of God's plan. And Abraham connected with that in an impossible situation. And through faith, received and became something that was totally impossible. So whatever God's saying to you, you know, and you look at your own life. What is totally impossible? What is God saying that to you feels totally impossible? Well, it's possible, according to this verse. What what area in your life do you just have zero hope left in? You know, we say this a lot around here. We have absolute right to be hopeless about anything that God is hopeless about in your life. Okay? If God has lost hope, you can lose hope. If God hasn't lost hope, we have to stay in hope. Okay, But it, it just... What has he called? What has he said? Sometimes we have to go back and we have to dig it up because what God said doesn't look like it's going to happen. Abraham and Sarah did this over and over. He, remember, he kept going out and he'd, he'd say, God, do it this way. No, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it the way I told you I was going to do it. God, do it this way. God, use Hagar. That was a disaster. And God would God would take him out. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't yell at him. He took him out and he said, Look at the stars. Why don't you count them, Abraham? I can't count all those stars. Well, that's how numberless your descendants are going to be. Look at the sand living in the desert. Look at the sand. Count those grains for me, Abraham. I can't count all those grains. That's how numberless your children are going to be. God has a way to encourage your heart. And he has more for us than I think any of us have ever imagined. I got to stop. I just got to stop. I don't feel done, but I got to stop. Let's pray. Why don't you stand up with me and pray. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Man, I hope you go out encouraged about what God has for you. Father, this morning, we just recognize you are the God who gives life to the dead. And Lord, where there are any dead places in our lives this morning, Lord, we bring them to you. And Father, we agree with you. We call life into those places. I just have a sense in my heart there are people in here or maybe on live stream this morning that have had, they've known a call from God in their life. They've known a plan. And right now, that plan, something has changed. And just because something in the natural changed, it just feels like it can never be, it can never happen. And I'm just going to say to you this morning, yes, it can. And if God said it, if, if God spoke it, if God ordained it, it shall be. But it is important for us to bring those places to the Lord and say, Lord, breathe life again into these dry bones. Ezekiel 37, breathe life, raise this up in me again, and he will do it. Lord, where there any places of hopelessness in us, God, we ask you to inspire that hope. We ask you to give us that vision like you did for Abraham. Lord, I I just see this people and the body of Christ in general. God, we live in a day that we think is really tough, but Father, we have seen you raise up generation after generation out of the worst places to to spread the gospel, to bring awakening, to bring revival. And Lord, we want it. God, we want to be that generation that rise up and carry those signs and wonders and live for you. And Father, love our neighbors and all the things that you have called us to do. So God, we give ourselves over to your plan for our lives and we choose This morning, we choose to believe what you have said over what we might see around us. And Father, I just pray that you give every one of us the ability to do that. Speak those words to us again. Speak that life to us again, Lord. We're here to receive it. We thank you for it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ah, All right. We're going to be dismissed. If you have prayer needs after church, please come up. Let me pray for you. And uh, and other than that, please connect with some people and hang around, spend some time. You're all invited to stay and have some snacks and enjoy yourself. So she's giving me a look. Ooh, I know why she's giving me a look. All right, you're not? Okay, all right, what? Are there donuts? Okay, just like the old days. All right, let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin, the world will be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.